0: Hello and welcome to Tarot Bites. I'm Teresa Reed, the Tarot Lady. I'm the author of the Tarot Coloring Book and the co-author of Tarot for Troubled Times. I'm also your host for this podcast series. This is episode 143 of Tarot Bites, the podcast where I dish out short, entertaining, bite-sized lessons on how to read tarot. And for today's episode, our topic is inclusivity and tarot decks. And I have a very special guest with me. I have Courtney Alexander, the creator of the Dust to Onyx Tarot Deck, Welcome, Courtney.
1: Thank you for having me again.
0: <laughs> I I'm very excited to talk to you uh, because this is such an important topic. It's such a timely topic. And I know that as a deck creator, you are, you know, you created a groundbreaking tarot deck, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But um, I think this is a topic right now that's really of the moment. And because you are a creator, you're the person that was first in mind that I really wanted to talk about. And you've been talking about this online. So, you know, for so long, tarot decks have featured primarily white folks, but everything has changed. Mm -hmm. I mean, those older decks don't reflect the wide variety of people that read tarot or or how they relate to those cards. So what you, first thing I want to ask you mm-hmm. is what do you think about the classics such as the Rider Waite Smith deck? Can they still be used or do you think those images cause harm? Um, I think that the Rider
1: Waite still has its uses. Um, I think that because of like, it's like a, it's like a default, right? So um, I know when I was looking for decks I wasn't really attracted to the traditional writer way, honestly, because I think that I could read the the background um or race of the um characters in that deck more than I could like when I when I purchased my first tarot that it was actually the Aquarian tarot because of the ambiguity of identity in that deck, which helped me to kind of like, you know, not just constantly feel like I'm having to interpret. My experiences through a European lens because it's hard if I want to ask questions that are very specific to my intersections, but the cards aren't really reflecting that. And I would rather either have a deck that directly does kind of represent me in some way or a deck that is ambiguous enough where it doesn't become a distraction for me. So, um, but like I think still for a lot of people, the right of way is still just, you know, it's still a pretty decent deck to start out with, especially if you're looking to learn and practice and just kind of get acclimated to the idea of using tarot. And, and, you know, people will find out, you know, how they feel about those cards if, you know, using it as an entry point. But totally understand, like, because a lot of people said Dasonix the was their first deck. So I understand a lot of people just want to come out the gate with something that reminds them of who they are.
0: Right on, you know, I've been reading tarot for a long time because I'm old. And back in the day when, you know, I bought my first deck, there weren't very many decks available. I mean, you got the Marseille's deck, you got uh, the Rider-Waite-Smith deck, the Thoth deck. And this, we're talking like over 40 years ago. There was just, I mean, there was no internet. There were no places where you could buy anything different. And there were very few Mm -hmm. books. So you kind of got what you got. But now new decks are coming out all the time. We have the internet, we have Kickstarters. And it's obvious that the public wants diversity. So how do you think artists are responding to this?
1: I think that there is a kind of supply demand thing. And I think that now that, you know, representation has become like something worth prioritizing, not just in a tarot industry, but you see it in entertainment and media in general, just the surge of, um, shows and music and everything that, like, is, like, first, first time having all Asian cast, first time having all Black cast, all Hispanic cast, or, you know, shows that are, like, obviously very intentional and having, like, a very, um, mixed cast in the way they present to the public, like, is, is something that has now become really essential because we are just, like you know, conscious and there are so many voices that are you know saying like, hey, our hard-earned coins are going towards supporting industries, and we expect those industries to create works that we actually can relate to, you know. And so, um, in in terms of the tarot industry, like I said, I think that it has spilled over, and I I although I think it's a good thing, it's always a tightrope, right, because not just in representation, but in general, in this world where we are just so much more aware and conscious, it has also become like, it's a commodification of these messages as well. There is money in inclusive work and, and, or, or money in being able to put this stamp of social consciousness behind your brand. And, you know, there are a lot of genuine platforms out there and, you know, I'm not knocking those people who do it, but then yeah, like there are like, we see it even in television and commercials and stuff, how even like companies are awkwardly including things because they know that this is, oh, okay, people are about this now, you know?
0: Right on, right on. And you know, and it's always hard to uh, like ascertain what someone's intention is, you know? Like, are they doing it Mm -hmm. just because it's in now or are they doing it because they really are looking to be truly inclusive? So. You know, when we're thinking about creating a tarot deck, you know, what What do we need to know about really being truly inclusive and not having any other weird agendas in there?
1: Um, I said this in a video, but I think sometimes in the boardroom, inclusivity just kind of comes across to certain people as let's change the skin color or let's have something that visibly represents um, this group of people or culture or race or however. And, you know, what happens is it ends up sometimes, you know, falling into harmful stereotypes because changing the physical appearance of something or interjecting something physically different is just the, like, bare minimum. And what happens is, especially, I feel, in predominantly white creative spaces, when you know, when there's more mostly white decision makers, is that they miss the nuance of the lived experience. And they don't have people that they're listening to to kind of help them understand certain things. And then they awkwardly stumble into um, situations where they've caused harm and don't know how to understand how they did or respond to it because they feel like, well, I thought we were giving you what you wanted. And if they don't listen to the conversations in regards to like, when we're talking about race and other things. They don't listen to the conversations to really understand what's important to us and what we really care about and the delicacies of living in our intersections, you know. Um, and so there's a lot of lead work, I think, that needs to be done to make sure that we're being conscious. Um, you know, With when I created Dust to Onyx, I'm a Black person, but I didn't feel like I just simply had the right to discuss things about other people's cultures without making sure that I did my due diligence as well. Like there were certain things that were academic. If you read my guidebook, like I talk about some things that are historical, but I also talk about some things that are spiritual and cultural in certain parts. And I had a beta group where I asked questions, especially from people who are continental Africans or in the Caribbean and everything, just to make sure that I was getting my information right. Because I also understood that a lot of information that I got was from you know, um, a white person's perspective. And I had to consciously search for work and sources that were not written by white people because I knew that my intention in creating Dust to Onyx was to create a deck that represented black diaspora um, in a way that felt empowering. And I just did not feel like hitting voices and like going to resources that did not have that experience and intention as well. So even down to those resources, I made sure that I was listening to our voices, you know, and there's a couple of exceptions, um, because sometimes those, it's even hard to find our voices in academia, um, and things written about us, but that was something that I really consciously did and it was really important. And so I feel like if I, as a black person, have to do that and have that kind of care, then why is another person, especially, um, a non-black person exempt from doing that work. If they're going to have our representation, they don't even have to go to the depth that I went. If they don't want to, but even just asking the right people, you know, even just taking a little time to really meditate on why you're making this decision. Because especially if you're if you're um, a non-black person, you don't like. We all we live within this fabric of white supremacy. We we swim in this water every day, and so people have to get over the fear of. Association with white supremacy and racism because we all have an internalized. Whether it's you know against me being a black person, I had to go through my own decolonization work. So white people ain't exempt even if you nice to all your black folks in your life. So it's like if you you have to be able to sit and examine your work and ask why did I choose this imagery? What is this saying about what I person that I'm trying to represent? especially if that person is not of your culture or ethnicity. What, am I real, what is really coming out about my
0: creation
1: before I work out in the world? You know, Especially if we're talking about making tarot decks or oracle decks, you're asking people to heal with your work. And you're making an inclusive deck because you're saying, this is an invitation for you to have my work. That's what inclusivity is. It's an invitation. And then you want us to step into this space with you. And then when raw harm is done, then it's like, people are like, well, you don't have to buy the deck. No, I was invited. When you put, my, when you put a face that looked like mine in your deck, you said I was welcome. That I could come to this table. And now that I'm at this table, I'm expected to stay silent if I don't feel like the invitation was given in a way that felt good. you know. And you have to be able to do both if you're gonna make the work have responsibility for it. And I, like I said, I use the analogy of having children, you know, and I feel like our creations are our babies. So when you birth something and you bring it out into the world, as parents, we're, you know, expected to be responsible for our children and to make sure that our children are going out there and ideally having, you know, a positive impact on the world and themselves. And we, you know, we cultivate that. So it's the same thing, have responsibility, take responsibility, for the work that you're creating. And even if you're creating something to be in controversy, go ahead and be real about that intent then. Like I'd rather someone just say, you know what, honestly, I made this because I I was just, you know, just, this is just how I felt. Or, you know, I was trying to create, you know, this sort of controversy. Do it with, to, to seem cool or nice or open and aware about it, but then pull back and like, be in the sense when the question, you know,
0: right on, you know, you've made some really great points here. First of all, you know, I'm, I'm actually here, a hearing impaired person and most people don't know that. Um, so one of the things I've learned in my life is I have to really listen to people. I have to really listen. I got to pay attention. So I don't miss something because oftentimes I do miss things. You know, I was eating at a restaurant once and they brought out raw antelope part. And I thought they said raw animal parts. So that tells you how my hearing is really goofy. It got a lot of laughs. But <laughs> as a hearing impaired person, one of the things I've learned very early in life is that I have to pay attention. I have to listen. And I think listening is a really, really important key that a lot of times people do have good intentions, but they're not listening. They're not taking the time to really listen to people of color or people from different cultures when they are saying this doesn't feel comfortable or this is harmful. So I think listing is really important. The other thing you bring up too is about doing your research. And the one thing that I would love to talk about, how, you know, this would be advice to any deck creator. How could you form maybe a council of advisors that you can listen to, that can help you do the research that you do the deck right? I mean what would be your advice about that especially to white artists?
1: Um it's it's a, it's a it's a challenge because I am definitely of the belief that you should not be out there asking black just random black folks to do that kind of labor for you. Because if you're you're asking people to tap into a lot of tough conversations and a lot of us have much trauma over micro like not even just talking about like intergenerational stuff even in this present day just facing microaggressions and constantly having to combat with people in our day-to-day lives talk to our bosses or even not talk to our bosses and loved ones about their racism so even going into a shared space where there's intention to learn it can be really really triggering and frustrating and stuff to try to have that back and forth and to unpack those things so go where people are doing it with that intention go to the people who are saying this is the work that i want to do because there are so many anti-racism writers of color who are doing the work and this isn't just like and i feel like honestly you don't have to go and say i am doing this specifically for this work that i'm creating this is going to be internalized right because if you are doing the work for yourself and for your soul and for your responsibility as a human being, the way you create your work will naturally be affected. You will create differently once you already have it internalized just on a general note. So you don't even have to have a special coalition of people of color talking about how to make better girls. Just unpack your shit. Just unpack your you know, um, like I said, unpack you know, white supremacy and westernization and some of the things that have kind of created the toxic culture that we live in we all got to do it but I feel you know of course this conversation has definitely been geared towards like non-black people especially but like, like I said, even as a black person I had to do that work because I grew up in you know a diverse area but still went to predominantly white schools and stuff and I had a whole lot of ideas about who I was and who black people were we so I'm like if I had to do it like no one's exempt
0: i totally and agree
1: so with that. my work changed after doing the work for myself you know
0: doing the work to dismantle you know um the white supremacy in our lives our thoughts our culture i mean this is ongoing this is not something that's it's done it's not, probably never going to be done at least not in our lifetimes this is something that requires mm-hmm. mindfulness lots of conversations a lot of introspection And it also requires people to really be out there taking action when they see it too. So it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people don't want to do the work. They don't want to go there, but it's necessary. Um, It's necessary.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think I see a lot of like people gravitating towards the people who coddle them and, and won't, and it's like, (laughs) I see it as just like, you know, or like people who at least make them feel like sometimes they feel more justified or like they, they will always go to the person who is OK with something. Right. It's like, well, I have that one black friend who lets me say the N word. I don't understand what the problem is with you. Well, that that's that's your one. That's your one black friend. <laughs> right. Don't, don't 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 try it. The rest of us, <laughs> you know, and 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 that's the person that that's the voice that will be magnified in their head because that person ju- helps to justify their the way that they truly want to be and ke- makes them feel safe in the comfort of that because the other dissenting ap- opinions will make them work too much.
0: Well, it makes and them uncomfortable. So
1: yeah, and they're and they're and they're not ready. So, like I said, they will just gravitate to these other voices and be like, "Oh, this is the voice of reason because this voice is the one that makes me feel good. And this is the voice that isn't requiring me to to do this level have this level of understanding, you know." And it's like, okay, look look at the look at the um, if you're looking at other people of color and supporting or agreeing with folks, look at them look at what they're saying and ask yourself why. You're, you're, you're in such agreement, you know, because if it's not making you uncomfortable, then chances are there's some things that you're, you're probably missing because there are people, you know, we have, like, just being as a Black person, like, there are people in history who have made, like, who does so much work in freeing us and getting us to this point, and we are still in the process of that work because there's, there's still just, like, a shit storm of, policies and things that affect the way we live, but we've come far. But I am sure that back in those days, there were people who didn't wanna rock the boat. There were people who were just like, I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna do this thing that is familiar. And I, I don't know this future of freedom and liberation, so I'm gonna be in this, this present that makes sense to me. And there's safety, even in pain, safety in the comfort of a predictable pain. Right, And so there are people, even within, like, you know, Black culture, Asian culture, whatever, who are still unpacking their own things and and getting to that sense of safety. So I find sometimes, like, that's why I say go to the people who are doing the work and who have, like, you know, who are talking about these things, not because their voices don't matter. I do not look down on them and say, oh, my gosh, they were just wrong and they should have been out there fighting on the and on the front line, because there's a lot of work to be in activism, and it was um it was hellish work to be in activism a couple of centuries ago, when it like you you really were getting killed and lynched for it, <laughs> you know. Yes. And so like all of us ain't free, so you need to go to the people who are doing the work, and who who have invested their lives in in the research and all of those things to really understand because. Some people may not be there yet, and that's why I said when you do the research, don't just go and ask your Black neighbor or your Black coworker, because do do you even know if they're safe with you, enough to talk to you? Because some of them don't feel safe. Like A lot of us do not feel safe, and I can tell you that I've had plenty of white people in my life that have been friends and coworkers and everything who have harmed me or just like who have offended me, and I did not feel safe talking to them. Because I knew that I would have to do so much labor just to get them the basic understanding that I would have to deal with the defensiveness and all that stuff, that I will just go ahead and either not say anything, nod my head, or just, you know, just, like, tell you whatever you want to hear. Because it's an emotional safety. Hell, sometimes it's a physical safety. Like, so it's a whole lot of things to consider when you are thinking about having these discussions with people who are not at your intersections, you know. And, and to be mindful of
0: that. And, and, you know, people don't like to have hard conversations. They don't like to have hard conversations because, you know, I think we, we want to be, as soon as it gets uncomfortable, we want to placate it. We want a spiritual bypass, whatever, because going mm-hmm. there, going there makes us feel all this pain and people want to avoid that. But going there is important if we are really going to get understanding so i think conversations mm-hmm. have to happen but but people need to also from the other perspective from your perspective you need to be able to feel that you can go into those conversations and be respected and feel safe having those difficult conversations
1: yeah Right, because I think a lot of us are more invested in our privileges than we would like to admit. Because we say we want to equal kumbaya world, but that means that some power has to be given up in different different ways. You know, being a just even outside of it, being a fat person. Mm-hmm. You know, I've I've had so many people in my life who would say that give me compliments and stuff. But would still speak badly about black, uh, not about black, but about fat people, or who kind of walked around in a way still having this complex of being better, and found subtle ways to remind me. And you see it in the body positivity community how there are people kind of invested in, well, it's okay to you go know yourself, but you should still know that fat is bad and it'll kill you, because overall there needs to be a social hierarchy, and fat people don't need to be at the top of that that totem pole because then the people who aren't fat don't feel special anymore <laughs> you know because there is privilege or like just seeing like in my experience seeing people who were once smaller but gained a lot of weight and kind of like the way they reminisce over how things were different because they realized once they actually that they once they become a fat person that while yeah the world does treat you differently and the shit doesn't feel good and so then their internalized fatness and everything, you know, comes out and stuff because, like, it's people are still invested in needing fat people to feel bad about themselves to feel better.
0: Absolutely. Even if
1: they say to my friends, you know, and I think that that's something that crosses over into all sorts of privilege out there, you know, because people want to feel it, it's that base need to feel important. And I think holding on to privilege is our need to feel important, to feel special, even if we're out here saying that we want an equal world.
0: Totally. And, you know, I find that now that I'm getting older and I'm a gray hair, uh, one of the things that I've been experiencing is ageism here and there. Now, I'm not a senior citizen yet, but Mm -hmm. I'm getting there. And that's also been a very interesting thing to start to explore that when people look at you differently for being You know, gray hair that suddenly, oh my God, you're frail, or, you know, like some doddering old lady. And I find that really interesting Mm -hmm. too. You know, when you're experiencing any kind of judgment in whatever way, you really start to also find that you're looking at other people very differently too. Mm -hmm. So it's been interesting. So here's something I want you to ask I want to ask you what are some things people, should not do. I mean, what should decorators keep in mind that they shouldn't do when they're making decks? In your opinion, whatever you feel about that. Um, I definitely think that
1: stereotypes and history and things that have not directly affected you and the culture you're a part of should you should tread very lightly. I feel like if you're going to make Decks of of uh, addressing uh, any part of history and stuff stick to the history that is connected to your lineage because, like, like I can only speak from Blackness and like I don't I don't need the more white people making work about Black trauma. We we know a lot of things about Black trauma. You know what I haven't seen yet? Yeah. <laughs> artwork about white supremacy from white people. Uh-huh. I haven't seen I haven't seen much artwork about the slave masters and, you know, about like just the history of that scientifically and socially and everything. There's so many layers there. I haven't seen a white artist talk about the intergenerational trauma of being a part of an oppressive group because we got Dr. Joy DeGruy who talks white, has a beautiful talk about this because yes, there is some, there's a intergenerational trauma associated with being an oppressor. You got so much to unpack on that side. Why are you still over here talking about our things? Like why we can't why can't we be in control of the narrative of our story? And I think when we talk about who should be able to talk about what, that's where we have to consider power dynamics. Because it's not just like, oh, because they're white, then they shouldn't talk about this. It's the power dynamic that's there. White people have already controlled the narrative so long that we're finally just like, can we tell our own story? Because for every person who tries to tell it for us. There's the interruption, and in their voice is amplified. And when you could use your platform to go ahead and let the people talk about it who are living it, you know, and you could talk brilliant. about it from you know, your perspective.
0: I think that's brilliant advice. I mean, I don't know any white person who's talking about being in the role of the oppressor or the shared, um, you know, history around that.
1: Yeah, because it's still it's still avoided, you know. Like I said, it's so easy to focus on, like, the Black community need to heal, liberate, be better, this and that. Look, we've been doing it for centuries, right? We've been fighting. We've been protesting. There have been multiple successful Black communities and cities literally burnt to the ground every time Mm -hmm. we, you know, white people felt threatened by us. We have done the work. So, if we literally live in a safer place where the, the work that we already know how to do could actually thrive and the results could stick, we would be better. So, like I said, we don't necessarily need white people to talk more and amplify more about the stuff that we are already been, we've been shouting from the rooftops. We need, it's like, we need y'all to handle your end. And handling your end means dealing with the hard things, but people are afraid of the shadow. People are afraid of the darkness. People are invested in being good people. I I always say the worst thing you can call a white person is racist because Mm -hmm. the defense goes up so hard because they don't picture themselves as a KKK hood wearing white person. They can't possibly be racist. They have black partners and and family members or whatever. And so it's it's because racism in a way is taught in American society and in the education system was this horrid thing that happened long ago and isn't still happening today or just with a particular group of people and those particular group of people are not the norm. They're 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 a special kind of evil and if you call me racist then you're calling me a special kind of evil. And it's like no, because when I look at pictures of lynchings, I don't see just white men, I see white women and children. And that means their offspring, was, you know, is still out in this world, and they are in positions of power, and they are raising more people. And it wasn't just this thing where it was just a subgroup of evil white people type of thing. No, this is just like how normalized it was in society that lynching a black person was a family affair. Right, and when, when
0: you see the you pictures, there's it always looks like it's a party going on.
1: Yeah. You know, yeah, it's, it's like, no, this was such a regular thing. And you can't tell me just being just a few decades, not even a few centuries. Like, I mean, some of this was happening in the sixties and seventies my parents are still alive and were born during that time. Stories of lynching, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so like, no, this thing is we're we're still working on it. So it's like, once you get out of the fear of being seen as a bad person, this is the part of accepting your wholeness, right? Like. We have taboos, like even let's just, even moving out of the socio-political stuff, we have taboos and we talk about kink and we talk about all of these things and we talk about exploration of shadow on a personal level, but you've got to be able to explore it on a social level too. Like, and you can't be afraid of this good versus evil thing, which is a very like kind of like Christian or like Western Christian like idea that things have to be on this binary and it's like being a human being with multiple lives and lived experience you are gonna have some shit and your community and the world is gonna have some shit and if you are afraid to take a good whiff of it <laughs> you know then you're gonna keep running yourself in these same circles and you're gonna keep perpetuating the things that we're supposedly out here trying to change because we are not going to change this world and have this this like I said this utopian world of equality if you're not afraid to look at the uglier parts of life and be able to say you know what like i i thought this one thing about myself you know it's an ego breakdown like you you people are so invested in the image of who they are anything that threatens that has to be no good and it's like why are you so invested in that version of yourself because it's the version of yourself you're so invested in is not Contributing to a better world, then you know that especially if that's the intent you speak out of your mouth when you wake up and when you talk to other people, then like like why are you holding on to it? Because like, look, I can. I'm pretty sure there are people out there that's like I don't give, I don't care about a world of peace. I love the chaos. I'm, I'm thriving in it. I'm you know doing my thing in it, whatever. Not to say that's right or wrong, like, but you know at the end of the day, they're still like authentically like you know owning that that's what they want to do but most of us are wanting to be out there and be good people or have these effects in our communities or our families and stuff but yet like we're not willing to really deal with the parts of ourselves that would kind of lead to that change because you know like on a micro level like I'll always say that happiness is the most difficult thing to to achieve being happy is the most difficult thing to be because being happy means that you have to go through some hard shit like being happy does not come with just waking up in the morning and having a million dollars right like most of us who are out here like content and centered in ourselves really had to go through some stuff to get there we had to unpack some things we had to go through some experiences we had to come to some self-realization and then we kind of experience that true internal happiness and joy on the other side of that whereas a lot of us are just like you know i don't want to deal with all of that so I'm going to turn to my vices or I'm going to just do the things that make me comfortable. And I'm going to surround the things that affirm what this shell of myself is. And that's how I'm going to try to experience happiness, but it never like really gets there, you know, and we remain unfulfilled. So I think like this whole, like, I feel like I'm going all over the place, (laughs) but I feel like (laughs) conceptually, like that, that idea expands socially. You know into how we deal with our understanding of how we relate to people
0: well i think every point you're making i'm nodding my head because you know again it's all about these difficult conversations but the difficult conversations are how we really get understanding it's how we get heal- healing it's how we get compassion and it's how we can then create from a perspective that really is truly about the collective instead of just from our own perspective um you know so i the wisdom that you're sharing today, you know, is I think so important. And it's important for deck creators to keep in mind as they are going forward and and really desiring to make more inclusive decks. And, um, you know, your deck is groundbreaking. The Dust to Onyx deck, I have my copy right here. And first of all, I love it because it's well-made and I'm, you know, a fanatic for a well-made deck, but the imagery (laughs) is so, it's so striking. It's so beautiful. I mean, I was just blown away when I got the deck. And by the way, I love this 10 of gourds. I just want to tell you I'm holding it right now. Um, so for people who want to buy your deck, I think this is a deck every deck owner is going to want. Where can they buy it? I mean, tell me more about the deck. Where can they purchase it?
1: Um, I could, someone addressed this. I, would, I just kind of want to, like, you mentioned the 10 of swords, and I just kind of want to mention this just in case someone comes across you know this in a discussion and oh i said the um, ten of gourds oh ten of gourds i thought you said swords. no I'm no sorry. no the ten
0: of gourds is the one that i i love the ten of gourds um and you know that when i think of that card it, it's always one that has kind of um, a happy view but i love the the just the way that that particular one is and i love the four blades you know, so you have different things. You have gourds, you have blades. We have coin, we have sword. I mean, it's just again, it's a stunning deck. The moon is one of my favorites in your deck, by the way. Love it.
1: Yeah, I got that card recently. It's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a card that follows me. But, me too. Um, yeah, like I, I mean, well, I still went ahead and mentioned it, but I think that, like you know. Um, I'll just say as a general statement that there are very triggering things that I mentioned and thus the onyx in terms of black history. And some people may make feel like that makes me a hypocrite because the white people got to create all loving work about black folks and I shouldn't be out here triggering certain historical, like what's the difference, right? And the difference is that it's part of my story and my ancestral lineage a part of my own healing that needs to be done and being able to use my creativity to reshape these narratives and what they mean like it's it's not it's it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's like it's a right that i have mm-hmm. as someone directly affected by these things you know and even in me using this history and all of this other stuff that is sometimes very painful for black folks to deal with like me as a black person i took that pain and I took, you know, um that trauma and I like I said, for me personally in, in this project with Dusty Onyx, you know, because Dust Onyx came as a deck that I wanted for myself. And I wanted a deck that could have these things, but show it show it in uh empower in a, I can never say this word right, empowering <laughs> 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 and redictive way, you know, and that's my right to do that.
0: Right. You know,
1: and that's And that's the difference. And a non black person don't have that right. And sometimes that's okay. Western culture has us thinking that everything is ours to take. And that's colon that's colonization. (laughs) You know, like everything is not for us to have and to hold and to do whatever we please with because we should respect the boundaries of different people and their cultures and stuff. You don't want nobody coming up to your house just being like, Hey, (laughs) I kinda like this over here. I think I'm play with it (laughs) You know? And it's okay to respect people's boundaries culturally and socially, you know, but outside of that, you know, that's the Onyx is on its third printing i um you know there was the Kickstarter edition that's completely sold out. um the second edition is still for sale, and the travel edition is on pre-order and coming in November because i'm um you know listening to people's um feedback over these past couple of years, a lot of people. Um, had issues with like the size of the cards because the cards are so big. So the travel edition is smaller, um, more the size of a regular tarot deck, and is nice and convenient to carry for those who kind of want to keep their full edition pristine. Because like I know a lot of people that purchase the Sonics is even a collector's item. So,
0: Absolutely, I yeah. mean it's gorgeous. So thank and- you. Um, no, oh, no, it's gorgeous. It's so well made. I mean, and again, that's the big thing for me, a deck, if it's beautiful, if it's gorgeous. And this one really is. So that little mini deck, of course, you I'm going to keep my eye on that because I love having yeah. many decks with me of my favorite decks. Uh, but anyhow, I think yeah. it's great. Where can people buy it? Where can they learn more about it?
1: Um, you can learn more about um, the Onyx at www.dusteronyx.com to onyx.com that's d-u-s-t as in tom the number two o-n-y-x dot com and you can also follow me on um dust onyx tarot on instagram and dust onyx on facebook
0: well i'm gonna tell people who are listening that this is a deck that you should have your hands on it's beautiful it's incredible it reads well it's made just it's impeccable and um and it's a deck that I think, you know, no matter where you're coming from, you're going to find some really deep wisdom in it. So it's one that I really truly treasure. And I thank you so much for creating it, Courtney. And I also want to thank you for spending time talking about this. Is again a, it's it's a very touchy subject. It's one that is an important conversation. And I think that the wisdom that you shared today is going to help deck creators going forward so they can be inclusive, but also so they can be approaching inclusivity from a respectful
1: place. Mm-hmm. That yeah, we all have responsibility for, you know, like language and art is power. And I yeah. think that in this world, that's kind of bucking against the shifts and oh, it's PC culture and it's just jokes and it's just this and that. And I think that we forget how art, like historically art and literature has been used as propaganda to dis- disenfranchise people that science, even science, this thing that's supposed to be objective has been responsible or been a big part of the dehumanization of an entire race of people. And that these words and this art has been used to support genocide and all of these things. And so when we are not considerate and we're just worried about censorship and our right to speak and just asserting and f- being forceful about our, you know, just our expression without considering that there are consequences that falls on somebody's shoulder, even if not your own, then we are doing a disservice to the work that we're creating. You Absolutely. know, and so, you know, intent is not enough. You know, we have to be conscious of the impact that we want to create in the world. And if we're going to do that, then we, you know, like I said, we have we have to do the do that work, and sometimes it's tough work, but it's rewarding in the end when you actually get your work out and it's doing what it's supposed to do.
0: I agree hundred percent. And as someone, I'm not an artist; I'm a writer. You know, these are all all good things to keep in mind. And um, so, I, again, I want to just thank you for sharing this. You've given me a lot of things to think about going forward with my writing work too. So, uh, again, thank you so much, Courtney.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm, you know, I'm I'm really happy to, you know, be able to contribute my voice and everything.
0: Um, so I'm I hope that a lot of people do, you know, get a lot out of this recording. So, I think they're going to, and I think that this is again, uh, we're opening up conversations and dialogues, and and somebody's got to open it up. And I uh, am thrilled that you are coming here and opening up this dialogue here with me. So again, thank you. You're welcome. All right, people. Well, that wraps up this very important episode of Tarot Bites. And a reminder, get your Dust to Onyx tarot deck. You're going to want this one. This is one that you should have. It's beautiful. It's incredible. And also, you can check out lots more tarot goodness on my website, thetarotlady.com. I've got free tarot and astrology lessons, the tarot coloring book, hundreds of blog posts, astrological forecasts, lots of other good things for you to scope out. Enjoy. I want to thank you again for listening. I hope you have a beautiful day. And if you are digging the podcast, do me a favor, get on over to iTunes, leave a kind review because that's going to help more Tarot curious people find their way to Tarot Bites. And as always, I'd like to close out by saying, pay close attention to your intuition throughout your day and let it guide you into making brave, excellent choices. Remember that you are always in the driver's seat of your life. You are in charge of your decisions, your plans. The action steps that you take or don't take. You're the boss. If you don't like where your life is headed right now, you can change that because nothing is ever fixed in stone. The tarot cards tell a story, but you write the ending.